everyone, and welcome to another episode of Chillin' in the State House. We are back from summer vacation, better than ever. I am Andrew Ball, one half of the Topeka Capital Journal's State House team. I am joined by Jason Tidd, my better half. Jason, how are you? It's been a long week, but the election is over, the primary election that is. So uh, we can finally rest, those of us who are weary. Uh, but there's still so much to talk about, and we are joined, as always, by John Hanna of the Associated Press to break it down. Well, theoretically, you're always a guest, but you're like the 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 guest star in the sitcom who basically is a member of the cast. Right. I, I, I stick around. My, my guest star turn was welcome enough that uh, I become a... a, a semi-regular i guess um and we should explain that that we were uh, we weren't taking summer vacation this podcast was not it was just that there is we have to be chill to do the podcast and there's no time that's less chill than the month before an election well and the week of an election isn't exactly chill either. no it is not chill particularly this week and you know we uh, we do want to acknowledge we're three men and we will be talking about abortion at least for part of this podcast. So yes, hopefully that might uh, uh, just we, we want to acknowledge that. But without a doubt, I mean, not only the biggest news story of this week in Kansas politics, the biggest news story in world events almost. Yes, I mean the the constitutional amendment vote which decisively failed on Tuesday the proposed measure uh, would have ended state constitutional protections for abortion. You've probably heard about it if you're listening to this podcast. Uh, it got a, you know, a little bit of attention. And it, Jason, this is not what we were expecting, right? I, I mean, you and I were talking about scenarios in which which uh, it would pass, but, but not by almost 20 points. Right. I, I think we reporters and the political scientists that we talked to or at least the ones i talked to uh, it was i uh, the predictions included a landslide victory for yes a close victory for yes and a close victory for no and an outcome where we wouldn't know the results of the election until it was certified but i don't think anybody predicted a landslide for the vote no well, and, and, and that's interesting because um, in the wake of the election, I talked to at least a, a dozen women who were abortion rights advocates uh, with group urge, Moms Rising, a Planned Parenthood affiliate or action group, um, and there were, there were several others, and they all made the comment to me that, well, this really wasn't that surprising for us, their argument being they knew that this is roughly where public opinion is across the United States writ large when the question is framed as either did you want the end of Roe versus Wade or do you think abortion should be banned? This is the kind of split you get, they argued. And I think one of the things to emphasize here is that it appears that the no side was really successful at raising the question of 
what comes next if voters approve this proposed amendment. And over and over and over they said, you will get a near total or a total ban on abortion in Kansas. That's what they predicted. And when we when we, the Associated Press, other news organizations, talked to voters who were voting no, they said over and over and over again, I don't want a ban on abortion. I don't want my daughters to have fewer rights than I had or my mother had. Uh, I, you know, I, what is, uh, you know, uh, there was even one voter in Overland Park, I think, who said, where does the insanity end? What are they going to take away next if they get this? And to be clear, value them both was not a straight up ban on abortion. But when you asked lawmakers what kinds of laws they would want to pass if value them both were to have passed, uh, they, they wouldn't say if they wanted to pass a ban or not. Uh, no, the, the, they, the, they, the they, campaign talking points seem to be very clear to the supporters of the amendment of do not discuss what you would like to pass, if anything. Well, and 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 that that was an issue. Now uh, we'll say here in brief, the supporters of the amendment are arguing that voters were deceived by the campaign on the no side um and and of course there's some media blaming in there for spreading those messages they they say that after the dobbs decision came out in late june it really galvanized both the voters and the donors who were able to they say the out-of-state donors who uh gave money to fund ads that they claim were misleading and fear-mongering by highlighting examples from other states where abortion has been banned or the confusion sown by those laws. Well, and the argument on the uh, the argument on the no side consistently throughout the campaign was, look, the folks pushing the amendment have talked for 50 years about creating a world where there is no abortion. Abortion is not only not legal, but it's unthinkable. In other words, it's not culturally acceptable anymore. They've talked consistently for 50 years about that. Why are we not going to take them at their word? And everything in Kansas, every year, every piece of legislation arguably showed they were moving at least incrementally toward that goal. And a ban seems a lot more plausible to voters when Missouri's done it, when Oklahoma's done it, when Texas has done it, when Arkansas has done it, when Nebraska is trying to figure out how to get there, when Iowa is trying to figure out to get there, where suddenly Wisconsin is talking about whether this 1849 or some vintage like that law can be enforced where Michigan may have a 1931 law that's going to be enforced where across the southeast abortion is being banned the idea that a ban could come to Kansas is a lot more plausible to voters. Uh, the, it's not It's not as theoretical as it was before the Dobbs decision. Listing off all those states highlights why this was of such national interest. First, because women and girls in the states where abortion has been banned have to travel further to get access, and Kansas 
for many of them will be the closest, especially the women in Missouri and Oklahoma. And then second, it highlights how abortion as an issue could change the outcome of the midterm elections. Well, I want to I want to quickly drill down on one point that I think has been brought up a lot, and that's, you know, we what we saw earlier this week was something we kind of expected, and that was monster turnout in Johnson County and the Kansas City suburbs. We, we had a County. governor's race in August. That's what happened, a governor's general election in August. But the, the no side got crucial support both in winning some rural areas, places like Jackson and Jefferson County and the round Topeka, which overwhelmingly support Republicans in the legislature in statewide elections and in presidential elections. And also they kept the margins down in counties where they didn't win. You know, counties that President Trump won 80 to 15, you know, they lost the value, the, uh, the, the vote no side lost by only maybe 60, 40. And, you know, I think it, it shows that this is not this is not an issue that falls perfectly along geographic lines. It's not an issue that falls along perfectly along partisan lines either, given that, you know, at least 20 percent of well, the folks who voted no were Republican. What 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 we do know is that polling has consistently shown that a, a good majority of Americans did not want Roe versus Wade overturned. Um, not and and the U.S. Supreme Court, the majority made it very clear in the decision that that kind of public opinion, they were not going to give in to public opinion when, in their words, they were deciding a constitutional question, a question of law. Now, of course, we could have a three-day conference <laughs> on all of that and with people from all different sides telling us what they think of that argument. But that was part of the U.S. Supreme Court's rationale. But, and this is something the abortion rights people have said consistently, when you look at the polling about whether Roe versus Wade should go away, whether there should be no access to abortion or no guarantee of at least a little access to abortion, this is the kind of result you get. Even in red states, like even even in states more conservative in Kansas. I mean, I, I had a conversation with a colleague in Oklahoma, but before the vote, are they going to try an amendment to make sure their courts don't invalidate or strike down this ban? And he said, you know, there's not been much talk of that because they're probably concerned that if they put it on the ballot, it will lose. I mean, Oklahoma, after all, is a state that has medical marijuana by initiative. Missouri is a state that has medical marijuana by initiative. It expanded Medicaid by by initiative. South Dakota had voted in favor of marijuana, legalization of marijuana by initiative. You know, Andrew, bringing up the rural areas, uh, thinking of Donald Trump's influence on politics, you know, Donald Trump way outperformed the amendment vote in rural areas, which is really interesting considering that I believe it was Senator Roger Marshall who said that the most consequential day of Donald Trump's presidency was actually June 24th, 2022, when the Supreme Court issued its Dobbs decision. Yeah, it's... I mean, I think it shows that, that places like Kansas can't be 
pigeonholed quite so easily along on, on these issues. And I mean, I think it now raises, I mean, nationally, it raises a whole host of questions on the abortion issue. But I think where a lot of people in Kansas are grappling is, does this, is this a sign of where the state is going to be in November ahead of a very consequential general election? And will the abortion, I mean, the abortion issue will stick around in Kansas in one form or another, but how will it influence the political well, and, climate? And, and that's the interesting thing, because at the same time, we're having these uh, these discussions with abortion rights activists who say, oh, this wasn't, you know, we've known that the public has felt this way for decades. And, and you know, then the question is, well, how do then do you explain the dichotomy between that and the conservative legislature in Kansas or Oklahoma or Texas or other states. Well, the fact of the matter is when you go to vote for a legislator or a governor, you're considering a whole galaxy of issues beyond just abortion. Sure. And clearly abortion matters to a lot of people. The turnout we saw on Tuesday drives that home in a big way. But it, it does maybe show that it, the calculus is much different. I mean, the, the, the perfect example of that in Kansas would be Medicaid expansion. Right. Uh, polls consistently show that a majority of Kansans support Medicaid expansion, and yet a majority of lawmakers don't, or at least not the ones in leadership. Well, and there's there's some argument in the uh, liberal progressive community that part of this is the effects of uh uh, political gerrymandering that for example in a state like wisconsin which you know andrew um go badgers the the populace in terms of its partisan leanings is fairly evenly divided but republicans controlled the legislature and they have maps that give them an almost two to one advantage uh in in the legislature so there is that argument out there but I, I do uh, agree with Andrew that when you're voting for a candidate or, a, uh, you know, the, the calculation is different. The other thing to remember here, too, is in Kansas, Democrats, except in the most liberal areas of Kansas, and I'm thinking Douglas County, maybe a couple of small pockets of Johnson County and Wyandotte County, have have traditionally shied away from talking about abortion. Uh, when Kathleen Sebelius ran for governor in 2002, one of the most abortion rights politicians in Kansas in recent history, she downplayed the issue. I mean, her take, if I'm recalling correctly, was, well, I'm not going to change anything, okay? Um, I'm not going to, you know... If you like the law as it is now, it will stay the way it is now. And certainly, I'm trying to recall 2018. Actually, in 2018, I don't think abortion came up hardly at all. I remember a news conference maybe 10 days to two weeks before the election, and uh, Chris Kobach, the Republican nominee, made the observation, well, it's really weird. We haven't talked about, you know, the life issue and, and all that. And, you know, the reporters are standing around thinking, well you're the supposedly you're the guy with the money to put the ads on television to raise that issue um but but yeah i, I mean democrats have kind of shied away from that and now i'm talking to about abortion to abortion rights advocates who are saying that has been a mistake that you know, they should be out there talking about access to abortion as something important because that can drive turnout. That's that that's what their interpretation of this vote is. We had several other races 
Yeah, we uh, should get on Tuesday, to and it'll be interesting to see which ones abortion may or may not factor yeah, into. I, I think the two most likely would be the governor's race and the attorney general's race. Right. Well, say, say more, particularly the attorney general's race. We're talking about Chris Kobach. Yes. Why, Jason, why do you think that that abortion is a particular interest in that one? Well, uh, well Chris Kobach, by the way. Officially, the Republican nominee in the attorney general's race, real quick, but now go. (laughs) Well, so the logic uh, from the anti-abortion side has been that their laws uh, that they have passed over the past decade and more uh, could be at risk of being struck down by the courts. Well, they argued actually that they were. They they argued that all of the laws on the books, all of the restrictions are – their phrase was – presumed unconstitutional and um and because of the way the supreme court kansas supreme court structured its decision right that's Uh, and uh, that that we're not going to have regulation of abortion and and not to get into the legal argument here but if there are any challenges to those laws and there is one currently going through the court system on the telemedicine abortion ban it's the attorney general who will be in the position of defending that and do you want the Republican Chris Kobach to be defending your abortion laws, or do you want the Democrat Chris Mann to be defending them? And Chris Mann had said that you know he doesn't really want to waste resources trying to take away women's rights or something to that effect, right? Yeah, well, and also, I mean, we were talking about this earlier, just kind of spitballing, but the other thing is, I mean, Chris Kobach is ardently anti-abortion. He he touted his Kansans for Life endorsement heavily in the primary. We know this about him. You know, it's possible he could he could attempt to um you know, use existing laws, come up with a novel legal theory of uh, getting at abortion access in Kansas. It's possible. He hasn't said anything about it, but you know, he is he, we is, you're opening up a door. Kansas has had that experience before with a Republican attorney general 2002 to 2003, early 2003 to early 2007. Then he was Johnson County District well, Attorney Phil Klein. He, when he was attempting to prosecute the Planned Parenthood clinic in Overland Park, um, after he moved over into the DA's office, he came up with a, a, a new novel legal theory about you know, what a district attorney had the power to do. So, the uh, you know, legal minds will sit and discuss and think about these things. Um, but it's worth noting with Phil Klein, he was unpopular, deeply so. I mean, a Democrat defeated him when he ran for re-election. 60-40, And, and yes. had his law license suspended after well, his yeah. actions. Well, that's, that that's a but, whole different yeah. kettle but, of fish. But, I mean, for Kobach, it will be interesting to see if Republicans and the anti-abortion movement, if a law is challenged, will try to defend that law in court well, after it, saying all this time that it would be struck down. Well, and and that is an interesting point because on the one hand, if if Kobach gets elected and Republicans in the legislature and elsewhere expect him to do that, and he has said he is willing to take on the hard cases even if they look like they might fail, because, you know, that's what you do. You do in his words, you do what is right. Um, and he gets these cases to the Kansas Supreme Court and he loses a bunch of them. Then does he get a primary opponent who says, 
oh, well, Chris Kobach can't win a case, you know, as Kelly Warren did. It, when he's being set up, in, in theory, to fail, given what the Kansas Supreme Court has said. But, I mean, again, we we don't know. We have a th- we have different theories of how far that Kansas Supreme Court decision goes, and we won't see actually how far it goes until we start seeing cases decided. They could back off that standard that they set a little bit over time. And, and we don't know if the candidates in the attorney general's race will make abortion be the issue, right. let alone a major issue. I mean, for Chris Kobach, his bread and butter has always been immigration right. and, and voter fraud. Yes. And for Chris Mann, he has really presented himself as a former law enforcement officer and a former prosecutor, the traditional uh, kind of uh, resume you would think of. Right, and he's kind of using the argument that Kelly Warren tried, but it didn't work for her. And, you know, in the primary, and and there's going to be a lot of Monday morning quarterbacking of that race, her approach, uh, the effect that uh, the third candidate Tony Mativi had had Mativi been not had Mativi not been in the race, or conversely, if Kelly Warren had not been in the race, because I think you could. Some people made the argument to me, some Republicans behind the scenes, that Mativi was a stronger candidate to take on Kobach than Warren was in many ways. I'm not sitting here saying whether they're right or wrong, but it was an argument that people well, made I mean, to me. As a practical effect, it was Kobach, Warren, and Mativi. So. Uh, we're never we're you it's know those are well yeah. I, until somebody finds a way to make a portal to the alternative multiverse portal other other universes in the multiverse will never know. No. I mean that you know there's I mean you know there's the TV verse the TV verse. I mean th- maybe it's somewhere in the general galaxy of the one in which Hillary Clinton was narrowly elected president. Uh, you know. But, so the other race that would most likely to be affected by abortion politics would be the governor's race. And it seems like both candidates have kind of shied away from it. I mean, Laura Kelly uh, did not campaign as much with the vote no side on value them both as some of her Democratic colleagues. Sharice Davids is the, probably the best yeah. example. Yeah, and, and boy, Sharice Davids is really making access to abortion a big issue in her campaign. Yeah. I mean, she has been repeatedly pointing out that the Republican nominee, Amanda Adkins, was a total supporter of that proposed amendment. And clearly, she is thinking that that's going to play well in Wyandotte County and in the part of Wyandotte County that she has still in Johnson County, both of those counties went big on the no side. But then if I'm recalling correctly, no, no one in Miami and Franklin County. Yeah. Yeah. No one in Franklin and Miami County. And from what I've seen, correct me if you think differently, but it seems like Derek Schmidt was a supporter of value them both, but was not making abortion a major campaign plank for him, at least during the summer and the lead up to it. That might change. No, now. he didn't. It, he didn't. And, you know, it will be this is an interesting this is an interesting time for anti-abortion folks. I mean, you like me, I've heard this rhetoric for decades. Kansas is a pro-life state. We're pro-life. You know, whatever you think that term pro-life means, Kansas was supposed to be it. Well, this vote 
arguably raises a question of what the Kansas definition of pro-life is, if Kansas is pro-life, or whether it is. And, and, and I think anti-abortion folks, in talking about the amendment vote, you know, there was Matt Schlapp, the national conservative uh, leader, who talked about, well, the problem was we didn't make it tough enough. Um, he was tweeting, it wasn't tough enough for some pro-life folks. That was his analysis. Um, and, and, you know, there's this, the narrative of, well, voters were just misled or deceived or something like that. Um, but what happens for the movement if the answer is no, voters don't want access to abortion to remain in place and and the state has got to have a conversation about how much access. I mean, uh, looking forward, I would expect Laura Kelly's campaign to be, she supports abortion access, and you want me here to veto any legislation the Republican legislature might pass. The Derek Schmidt argument would be, I'm going to leave policymaking to the legislators, and I will sign pro-life laws. And now that we have and, uh, and Dennis Pyle in the race, he will be the one coming up probably saying i want to ban abortion which might drive home that rift between uh the dennis Pyle conservatives and the derek schmidt conservatives or as dennis Pyle thinks of him as a liberal <laughs> it, well and and you know if you're in dennis Pyle's wing of the republican party there with dennis and mark stefan and Randy Garber. You probably think 90% of the state is <laughs> Yes, liberal. everybody looks liberal, I think, is uh, but, the point. Well, I was – we can briefly touch on Pyle because I think it's an interesting point in light yeah. of what we saw the other day. But I was talking with Senator John Dahl, Republican in Garden City, who also happens to have the distinction of being the running mate of the last serious independent gubernatorial candidate we had four years ago, Greg Gorman. And he said, you know, it's going to be fascinating because it is going to maybe pull – Derek Schmidt in directions that he did not anticipate being pulled in, does not really want to be pulled in, and yet, you know, I mean, there's a reason why Republicans are spending big and and texting thousands of voters to try and in a last ditch effort to get pile off. It, it well, feels like Derek Schmidt avoided the uh, contentious Republican primary, and as a result of that, he's getting essentially a primary challenge in the general well and that that is an interesting way of looking at it yes and the other thing to remember is is that democrats appeared early in that race to be freaking out about in the 2018 race i mean to be freaking out about greg orman you know and i mean i remember conversations of democrats talking about that and sounding really worried and they kept sounding really worried all the way through the campaign and then after the campaign a few of them would say privately yeah that was an act at the end we just wanted to remind people you know not to vote for orman so that this so that kelly got elected and not kobach but i will kind of the assumption i've been going with all along though is pile and this could change, particularly if Democrats, like they've done in other states, throw money at conservative candidates to try and amplify them. But if we assume Pyle gets 4% of the vote, which is what Rick Kloos got, a then unknown Rick Kloos running as an independent 
a shoe leather shoestring campaign in 2018, the race could be so close where that could decide it. I mean, I'm not saying well, it that's will. What, that's what Republicans are worried about. And, you know, and, and so it will be interesting to see. It will be interesting to see we're still we're the state is still in the process of verifying pile signatures. And uh, in 2018, the Democrats challenged Dorman's spot on the ballot and a lot of his his signature gathering in general when it was clear that he had enough signatures to be on the ballot. And, you know, part of that was probably a desire to send a message to Orman. We're not letting any of this go. And, and, but, you know, some of it was, they thought legitimate questions about the process of gathering signatures. It will be interesting to see the contrast with this year and what happens with Pyle once there's a determination of, and he should, given the number of signatures he turned in, almost 8,900, he should have the 5,000. And traditionally, if you put in that many, you do have the 5,000 to get on the ballot. Real quick before we wrap up, uh, two other big races on the ballot on Tuesday. Secretary of State Scott Schwab surviving a primary challenge from former Johnson County Commissioner Mike Brown, who is of the very conservative, we need to talk more about election integrity. Election denial. That's the phrase you're looking for. That Yeah, that really is. I mean, I mean, I, I, I talked to him. He genuinely believes there were problems with the 2020 election. I mean, he was out promoting 2,000 Mules, the, the film by Ninesh D'Souza that makes baseless claims about what happened to President Trump in you know, former President Trump in the election? Um, he was talking about how terrible ballot drop boxes are when there has been no indication nationwide or in Kansas that are, there are serious problems with well, ballot drop boxes. And the reason Schwab got this challenge is because he has been quite aggressive in pushing back on this misinformation. Well, at least for Kansas, he he has you know he has done this. He did in the primary this tightrope act where he vouched for the uh, credibility of Kansas elections because there's been an all, uh, you know very little evidence of even uh, th- there's been no evidence of significant problems at least significant enough to you know challenge to to affect the results in a statewide race and so he's been vouching for that without without vouching for the uh integrity of elections in other states and when you ask him about that he says well you know i've not been a poll worker in another state their laws are different it's not fair for me to judge which you know for a republican that's a good answer for um you know in this environment my state's elections are okay i'm not going to talk about other states so he will. It proved to be a good answer, or a good enough answer, I should say. Apparently, with voters. But Mike Brown's, uh, he he did garner a large number of votes 45%, in the election. Forty-five percent. Yeah. Yeah. So it shows that there I, is. I, I don't know if that's the Trump wing of the Kansas Republican Party or the anti-establishment wing, the election-denying wing. I. W- but that margin is well, there's, surprising. There's, Jason, there's very little doubt that the idea that the 2020 election, there were significant problems with it, that there are problems with ballot drop boxes, that President 
Trump, then President Trump, now ex-President Trump, may have in some ways been anywhere from a little to a lot cheated out of the election. Those ideas, again, no, no real strong evidence to support them. Those ideas have been repeated so often and circulating so often that a good many rank-and-file Republicans agree with them. And I, I think that's what that vote reflects. And it may cross all of those lines of Trump, anti-establishment, populist. It may cross all those lines. The other result we will quickly note, because it is still too close to call, the Republican state treasurer primary between Representative Stephen Johnson of Assyria, Senator Karen Tyson uh, Parker, is separated, last I checked, by 400 votes out of 498,000 cast. That is, that is an astonishingly close margin. I mean, I don't know that we that's can have even, too much analysis of this aside from, that is amazing. Actually, that's actually even closer than the 2018 GOP gubernatorial primary because that was 343 votes out of, I think, 300 and... 75,000 votes cast. And, and, and the margin when you checked earlier in the day was well, like 150. Friday, yeah. <laughs> well, so. and, and obviously, as you know, uh, Scott Schwab, the Secretary of State, said that race is going to be audited. They go in and they hand count 10% of the precincts under a new state law. Under a new year. state law. Yeah. And, and um, so they, that race every county will do and then some counties will have another statewide race to do randomly chosen and the uh the, that one will will go to provisional ballots and i mean there are, there are thousands of provisional ballots out there so it's gonna be interesting I mean, yeah uh, i i don't know buckle up. who <laughs> this benefits in terms of general election if it helps the incumbent lynn rogers the democrat or if it Kind of, kind of puts a pause for Tyson and Johnson uh, if it will hurt well, fundraising at all. I, well, I, I, I mean, generally, it does help Lynn Rogers a little in that Republicans, the candidate can't move forward until this is settled. And no matter who wins, there's there always going to be the reality of 49% of people in the party voted for someone else in the primary. Yeah, well, but if you're Kobach, what, what is the number 60% voted against you? And that is always in a state without a runoff like Kansas. That is always the issue for a, plura, a, a plurality. I mean, think of Steve Watkins in 2018. He got less than 30% of the vote in winning the primary, and he spent a good deal of time going around reassuring conservative Republicans that he was okay, and he just he squeaked it out in the end in 2018. Well, if you want regular updates on the state treasurer's race or, you know, all the other things going on in Kansas politics, uh, the Capitol Journal has you covered, right, Jason? We do. You can go to cjonline.com. To find our written work, uh, and Jason, if they want to find your written work, where can they find you on you, social media? You can also find me on Twitter at Jason underscore Tid, T-I-D-D. And I am at Andrew Ball, B-A-H-L. And the CJ is on Twitter, at CJ Online. We're also on Facebook and Instagram. John, where can they find your work? Well, they can find my work 
at, well, on Twitter, I'm at APJD Hannah. Uh, no H on the end, by the way. And then uh, to read my, my stories, they go to www.apnews.com backslash uh, Kansas. We were doing the hand movement. I really, I really wish we we should do a televised version of this podcast so everyone can see the hand movement that we do. That'll be great for our seventeen regular listeners. Well, oh say, no, no, Andrew, it's much more than that. When you say there's no H at the end, you're not Hannah Montana, no, or Hannah Barbera, which was my era. Um, <laughs> and I, I have run. I did when I was out covering uh, uh, canvassing. Um, in the on the abortion amendment, I did have somebody I talked to tell me that they were a regular podcast listener. So this is a shout out to that person. <laughs> well, and if you are new to the podcast and want to be a regular podcast listener, we got archives that you can dive back into. Just overlook the fact that we haven't recorded an episode in three weeks. Well, and there is one. There is one where we discuss at length Gollum from Lord of the Rings. So go go back and find it. A high water mark, truly. Yes. Um, that uh, you can find our podcast anywhere podcasts are found: Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or when Andrew remembers to post them on CJOnline.com, he does. Jason. Andrew. John. Andrew. John. Jason. This is like an episode of the Waltons at the end. You're probably, y'all are probably too young. Good night. Good night, John boy. Good night. Good night. Yes. I'll look it up after we. Yes. It was a thing back in the day when I was a kid. We hope you all have survived the primary election and are getting some much needed rest. And we will see you right back here next week. Same time, same place. Have a good one, y'all.